Please stay standing with me as we read selected passages from Jonah. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah, hurling him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth, sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they had turned from their evil way, God did relent of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank, are thankful for the reminder from your word that you are a God of mercy, that you do see what we do, you see our actions, you see the motivations and intentions of our hearts. And God, I pray that we would have soft hearts, that we would turn from our wicked ways, and that we would repent. Lord, hear our prayers, hear our cries. And do not shine away from us. God, we thank you for the gospel of grace, of your son who you've given us as the propitiation for our sins. May we believe it and live as it is true. Thank you for the work you have done. And we pray for Pastor Andrew this morning as he brings us your word from Jonah. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. 
Everybody know what next week's Sunday is? It's Christmas morning. Yes, exactly. So uh, if you haven't looked at the schedule for this week yet, it's on the back of your bulletin. Uh, we have uh, two Christmas Eve services. Uh, great time to come together, reflect. Uh, a little bit smaller communities, a uh, couple services, so we'll see what that looks like uh, on Christmas Eve. Then we're going to have one Christmas Day service, uh, and it may be really full, so you might want to be on time next week. Some of you know who I'm talking to here. Um, but uh, we're going to have the stage full, we're going to have uh, that open back, but it's just a great time of, of celebration and greeting our Savior on Christmas morning, so really looking forward to that. This week we're going to go back to Jonah, and uh, actually next Sunday we'll be there as well, because we have a two-part answer to our last worldview question. Uh, if you've been following along, you know, we've been asking these, these questions out of Jonah, like how do we, how do we build a, a biblical view of the world? And we've said, the Bible helps us answer these questions. Who are we? Where are we? What's the problem? And, and how does it get fixed? Uh, who are we? We're objects of, of God's affection. We're objects of His pursuit. We saw that in week one. Uh, where are we? We're in a weary world that is sometimes, oftentimes, marked with violence. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what's the problem? The problem is, is that we're, we're prone to run from God, and, and a big part of that, a big driver in that, is that we, we just can't imagine how merciful God is. So how does it get fixed? That's where we're going to be these next two weeks. And, and this week, I, I want to focus on what happens in us. If you notice, uh, the, the passages that Dan read for us this morning are all response passages. Uh, the response of the sailors. Uh, to the movement of God in their lives, a response of Jonah as he uh, sort of chronicles his journey from the belly of the fish, the response of the Ninevites uh, to the preaching of God, and also Luke 15, we have a passage that really, if, if you want a great exercise for your Lord's Day, you know, read Jonah and Luke 15 together. And notice the, the parallels and the similarities be, between the, the parable of the, the two sons or the prodigal son and, and Luke. But we see the response, uh, both of the younger brother as he comes back and is back in the family of God, also of the older brother as he stands off and stands distance. But today we're, we're looking at this response, uh, and, and response is something that, that often happens at the lowest point of our life. Uh, there's a word for that in English, we can debate on how to pronounce it, uh, the nadir of our life. Uh, we, we hit that lowest point. I was reminded of uh, Matthew Perry's story. Some of you know Matthew Perry better as Chandler uh, from Friends. Uh, some of you know that uh, post-Friends has not been kind to him. Uh, harrowing history of addiction, 14 trips to rehab, uh, 60-odd detoxes, 15 stomach surgeries, uh, the kind of thing that makes you marvel that he's even alive. 
about. Uh, at one point, though, he hit what he considers his, his bottom. Um, the context is, is that he couldn't sleep because of a painful detox. He took eight Xanax, uh, which is an amount that was likely to kill him if he didn't get immediate uh, uh, medical attention. At the outset of this passage, he's waiting for an assistant to arrive with the pills uh, that will help him. And here's what he says in his book recently. I hated myself. This was a new bottom. I didn't think you could get any lower than my previous bottom, but I had managed to do it. And all of this in front of my father, who was obviously terrified. The cunning, baffling, powerful nature of addiction had gotten me one more time. Maybe some of you can relate to that. The front door still wasn't opening. This was uh, serious trouble. I was a desperate man. The drugs were in full flow, the drinking too. Things were so bad, I couldn't even cry. To cry might have signaled that there was at least a semblance of normal somewhere uh, about, but there was nothing natural about any of this. So, a bottom, the lowest point of my life. This is a classic moment for an addict, a moment after which one seeks lasting help. But hey, what's this now? As I sat looking into the kitchen, I noticed uh, a crinkle in the atmosphere. Perhaps someone, not at their bottom, might have waved it away as nothing, but to me it was so compelling that I couldn't look away. It resembled a kind of little wave in the air. I had never seen anything like it before in my life. It was real, true, tangible, concrete. Is this what you see at the end? Was I dying? And then I frantically began to pray with the desperation of a drowning man. The last time I prayed, right before I'd gotten my role on Friends, I'd managed only to strike a Faustian bargain with God who had simply drawn a long breath and bided his time. Here I was, more than a decade later, chancing my praying arm once again. God, please help me, I whispered. Show me that you are here. God, please help me. Some of you know what it's like to be at the bottom, like Mr. Perry does. God does meet him. I'm not exactly sure what all of that means for Matthew Perry. He's writing the book. He's still on his journey. There is hope there. But I start there because there is something about this story that relates to every single one of these characters that we have before us this morning. Whether you're the younger brother in the parable, the sailor on the boat, Jonah in the belly of the fish, the Ninevites faced with a word of uh, prophetic destruction that is coming their way. There is a bottom, there is a nadir, and it is there that God oftentimes, most oftentimes, meets us. And there is a connection here, of course, to Christmas. Christmas comes to the humble first, and we'll touch on that this morning. But I want to just highlight kind of four sort of phases of this response to God. And this is the first step in how 
things get fixed? Like I said, it's a two-part answer. The first part is what's going on inside of us. And the second part that we'll look at next Sunday is who is the God that is in process of fixing things. Notice, first of all, that all of these start with a roadblock or a crisis. You know, whether it's Matthew Perry, uh, his drug addiction, the absolute moment where he thinks he's going to die, the, the sailors on the boat, the storm that God has hurled upon the ocean, Jonah going down, down, down into the very, uh, not only the belly of the fish, but the bars of Sheol had closed upon me. The Ninevites, uh, in this prophetic word, feel like their city is going to be destroyed. The younger brother out in the field with the pigs, uh, realizing how far he has fallen and that he has nothing left to his name, not even his name. Uh, He has nothing left. Each of them reach a crisis point in their life, and this is the start, the start of a return, the start of healing. Some of you recognize this in your own lives. Maybe it's something similar to Mr. Perry with addiction. Uh, You have been at that point all the way down. Maybe it is something relationally where you realize that, you know, this relationship, uh, you know, whether it's parent-child, whether it's uh, sibling to sibling, whether it's your spouse, uh, your best friend, whatever it might be, you realize that there, there's no fixing this. This is seemingly broken, and, and I am unable to do anything about this. It could be a job loss. It could be a physical diagnosis. It could be a lot of things, but we reach this crisis point in our life, and we realize we need something. There, there, there's something or someone that, that we need to come into our life, and we're willing, uh, we're willing to begin to look. The first encouragement this morning is pay attention to those roadblocks. Pay attention to those crises. It may be that things are going well on the outside, but it, it could be just an existential angst, you know, where you feel like, I, I, I have it all on the outside, but there's something missing. You know, Dan has said this morning as we come that we listen to the Word of, of God, that our hearts are soft. And, and this is what I think the Word is encouraging us just overall in terms of our life. Like, pay attention. Uh, don't go so fast you know, through the various stages of your life that you're not paying attention to the storms uh, that God is hurling upon you uh, here as we go. Secondly, there's an awareness. Uh, So the crisis comes, the roadblock is there, but you notice for for each of of these folks, there is an awareness. There's an awareness, uh, ultimately, that they are incapable, Uh, whether it's the the son 
who, who comes to his senses and realizes he's out in the, the mud with the pigs and, and he's, you know, unclean. He, he, there's a realization there. The sailors, who incidentally, I, I love what it says there. I think it's verse 13. Uh, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to the land, uh, but they could not. Literally, the Hebrew says they dug their oars in. And I think that this is one of the ways that we see our own lives. You know, when we come to those crisis moments, this is our first inclination, isn't it? To row harder. Dig those oars in. There's a way through this, and I am going to do it. I am going to figure it out. I am going to make my own way. But they couldn't. You know, the storm continued to rage, and, and though they dug their oars in, they couldn't get to safety. And, and this is the awareness, then, that is coming on. We're, we're helpless. We, we cannot fix our own problem. Somebody or something has to intervene in order for us to move forward. Jonah uh, comes to that portion in chapter 2 as he's going down and the, the bars of Sheol are, are coming upon them. What is it that, that Jonah comes to in his own realization? He says, salvation is from the Lord. It, it is only the Lord's intervention that is ultimately going to save me. Uh, one theologian has said that that particular verse at the end of Jonah, where Jonah proclaims salvation belongs to the Lord, this is one of the pinnacle verses of the entire Bible, uh, where, where we recognize like this is the message. We uh, come alive to this awareness that we cannot fix ourselves. That, that we need a word from the outside, that we need an intervention from outside of us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And this, of course, is what Christmas is all about. You know, as we celebrate the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, uh, becoming incarnate, putting flesh on, entering into our world. It's an acknowledgement that salvation is from the Lord. As a, as a humanity, we cannot fix ourselves. Uh, we, we need God to become man, to live that perfect life, to die that perfect death. And, it, and it's only when we have this awareness that we can really begin to receive, to receive this good news. We can really begin to uh, allow this to infiltrate our life. Otherwise, we're just rowing hard. And, and I recognize that, you know, as we, we come this morning, some of us, some of you, uh, and this, this isn't only a one-time thing, but this is a, an over and over in the Christian life thing. We, we just simply aren't at a point to, to receive this message. For whatever reason, you're digging your oars in hard. And, and you are trying to, to fix your own situation on your own. It's one of the reasons why when Jesus came, 
it, it wasn't the rich and the powerful that were ready to receive him. That's not who the, the message of the angels went to. The message of the angels went to, you know, an old woman, uh, a young virgin, uh, shepherds, the outcasts of society out in their fields. You know, these were the folks that were willing to receive. There was a humility there. Uh, and this is what Mary, of course, sings about. It's, it's not the, the rich, it's not the, the high, but those you've humbled and the humble, the ones who realize their need, those you have exalted. So the first thing is, you know, stop, pay attention to your life. Secondly, uh, you know, acknowledge, acknowledge your need. Acknowledge your weakness. Allow this awareness of your own inability to save yourself from whatever it is, whether you see, you know, a relationship issue or job issue or diagnosis issue, or if you are in that place where you're realizing, like, there's a gap between myself and communion with God. You know, what, wherever you are, there, there's a real inability to save yourself. So, so what do we need? Where do we go? How does the story keep going? And the story here, interestingly enough, almost in every case, uh, continues forward with uh, sacrifice, surrender. Uh, there is a real giving over to the awareness. Now, there, there is in one sense a fine distinction there. Uh, you're never going to have the surrender without the awareness. Uh, but there are times when the awareness doesn't lead to the surrender. But, but notice how we see it here in playing out in these various pericopes, these various passages. You know, the, the sailors recognize that they have to do this thing that they don't want to do. They don't want to toss Jonah over the boat. Uh, into the waves, uh, but they realize that there's no other option. And so they pick him up and they hurl him into the sea. The sea ceases from his raging. Jonah recognizes that he has to, um, he has to follow the Lord. A and so he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered you, O Lord. My prayer came to you in your holy temple, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Uh, there's, a, there's a very tangible aspect to that as Jonah gets vomited out and he goes to Nineveh, the very thing he didn't want to do. He sacrifices his own will. He sacrifices his uh, desire to not go to Nineveh. Of course, the, you see this here with the, the Ninevites as the king hears the word. He talks about, um, he issues this proclamation by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily uh, to their God. Who knows? 
Perhaps God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. One writer says this, sackcloth is an outward and visible form of bodily repentance. A belly, represent, repent, a belly repents by fasting. A heart repents by being broken and contrite. A community repents by neglecting to eat and dress themselves properly. So the people of Nineveh lay aside everything that would make them comfortable and content with their lives, putting on destitution like a garment, as if to say, we are beggars who have nothing. Have mercy on us. They've, they've sacrificed their, their position, their ideal of themselves, and they have turned that writer uses the word repentance, and, and it's, a, it's a good word. It's, it's a biblical word. You know, we, we often talk about the grace of God, and the grace of God is very much in view here in Jonah, uh, and we are going to celebrate that next week as we just highlight on the, the amazing grace of God that, that sees Nineveh for its 120,000 souls and all of these cattle. Uh, it, it's an amazing grace of God. But there is an attitude of heart that is open to receive it, and it's this awareness of our own inability, and it's a repentance, a, a willingness to admit that we have offended uh, against a holy God. And we are in need of someone, something to step in. I don't know where you all are on, on the repentance journey. It's not something you do just once uh, and, and then you're over with it. Yeah, Martin Luther, we've talked about this before, it was the first of his 95 theses. You know, repentance is a part of the Christian life. And it's this invitation to continue to come before the Lord, acknowledging our own inability and looking to Him in His own grace. And it is grace then that is poured out on these people throughout the course of the story. It's interesting that the sailors, you know, they throw Jonah over the side of the boat. Jonah, in a very real sense, sacrifices himself for the sake of the sailors. I don't know exactly what Jonah is doing here. Uh, you know, the commentators are kind of split. Was Jonah just uh, giving up on life? We see that in chapter 4. Jonah says, if you're going to you know, not be gracious uh, or not be uh, hold the Ninevites accountable, then I don't want to stay alive. Did Jonah have that kind of sense in chapter 1? I don't know. Uh, did he look at the sailors and say, you know, if you want to save yourselves, you have to sacrifice me? I think there's at least a part of that. But we get a picture here, and, and this, I think, is what Jesus captures, you know, in, when he talks about in Matthew and in Luke, he says someone greater than Jonah is here. Jonah goes into the water as a sacrifice for the sailors. As he goes in, uh, the turmoil stops. All of, the, all of the angst that is in the world that is threatening to destroy those sailors, it becomes calm. And, and they, of course, respond with their own sacrifices and vows. And, hey, 
Maybe we'll see some of these sailors when we get to, the, get to heaven, and, and we'll get to you know, hear their story firsthand. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, but Jonah goes into the water a, as a sacrifice of sorts for them. But Jesus is coming and saying, I'm greater than Jonah. You know, the, the chaos, the turmoil that is in the world, you are longing to see that ended. I am going into the waters on your behalf. And I'm not going to save just a small group of sailors. I, I'm not going to only, you know, stop the turmoil for a moment. But I am going to bring an overarching peace into this world. And I am going to still the turmoil for eternity, uh, creating peace again between God and man. It's an incredible story as we just walk through this. We recognize that the surrender that God calls for us is but a, a fraction of the surrender that He has given in terms of this journey of going to Bethlehem, being born in a manger, going to a cross, finding His way to death in order that He could bring peace and, uh, and life again to this world. And then lastly, just notice that there is this turning, perhaps see it most clearly in, um, in, in chapter 3, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from their disaster, and he, did, and he did not do it to them. And their vows were that everyone would turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Jonah turned and instead of going to Tarshish, went to Nineveh. The, the younger brother returned to his father, uh, the father running out to meet him. There's, there's all this turning. Uh, we, we oftentimes think about repentance uh, as turning from the things that, that were in our hands. We see that with the Ninevites. Uh, and there's certainly that aspect to it. Um, it it's not, I w the reason why I put it forth here is that it is not repentance in and of itself. Uh, repentance is not the determination to turn. Uh, but it's the fruit of repentance. You know, when we have truly repented, then the motivation is to turn. When, when, when God has changed our hearts, then He gives us the ability to turn. Sometimes we confuse the two. Uh, Jack Miller talks about, you know, this confusion as being confusing penance and repentance. You know, oftentimes we think, all right, I'm going to stop doing these things, and, and that's my repentance. Uh, but that's really more akin to penance, where we say, I am going to, uh, you know, pull myself away from these things, and then maybe God will have mercy on me. But the repentance is that true attitude of heart, receives what God has done, and then leads to the turning but it's not only a turning away from, but it's, it's more importantly a turning to. We see that in, in the parable. The younger son comes back and he says, Father, 
You know, he, he recognizes him as father. He says, I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Of course, the father's not having anything of that. Quick, you know, get a robe on this guy. Get a ring on his finger. I'm receiving him back as a son. All of these things, symbols of the sonship belonging to the father. But it's turning to God in hope. And that's where Jonah, you know, ultimately pushes us. It pushes us to, uh, to hope. One writer puts it this way, the people heard the message, the people of Nineveh, not as a prediction of doom, but as a proclamation of hope. Nineveh's way of life was doomed, but another way of life was possible. The Ninevites didn't have to live, they didn't have to live the way that they were living. They could turn to God Love him and live for him, leaving behind their old way of life. There is hope as we turn to God. And, and that's what Christmas is all about. Uh, one writer puts it this way. He says, indeed, the Christian, Christian story, the Christmas story, failure, coming to the bottom, the nadir, is where hope begins. It's almost a prerequisite. This is the message of the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If hope can find its feet in such a place as this, it can find its, a place amid all the twisted rubble of my life too. If hope can survive the cross, it can survive anything. And the story of the uh, emergence of hope in the world, in, in a world of brokenness, is why Christmas is not just a tale of angels and shepherds, but rather it's a depth charge of hope dropped right in the middle of human darkness. A depth charge of hope dropped right in the middle. And we see it. The, she the mariners, Jonah, the Ninevites, the younger brother, the shepherds, uh, those who are waiting in the darkness, they've seen a great light, you and me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its promise of hope. We thank you for the path uh, that is laid out for us here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would meet us and help us to be aware of our roadblocks, help us to be aware of the ways that you are inviting us to acknowledge our need for you. And may we experience some of that turning even, uh, even this Christmas season. Lord, we pray this all, and we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. We